0: this is chapter twenty two of personal recollections of joan of arc this librivox recording is in the public domain personal recollections of joan of arc by mark twain volume one book two chapter twenty two the fate of france decided we were up at dawn and after mass we started in the hall we met the master of the house who was grieved good man to see joan going breakfastless to such a day's work and begged her to wait and eat but she couldn't afford the time that is to say she couldn't afford the patience she being in such a blaze of anxiety to get at that last remaining bastille which stood between her and the completion of the first great step in the rescue and redemption of france boucher put in another plea but think we poor beleaguered citizens who have hardly known the flavor of fish for these many months have spoil of that sort again and we owe it to you there's a noble shad for breakfast wait be persuaded jones said oh there's going to be fish in plenty when this day's work is done the whole river front will be yours to do as you please with ah your excellency will do well that i know but we don't require quite that much even of you you shall have a month for it in place of a day now be beguiled wait and eat there's a saying that he that would cross a river twice in the same day in a boat will do well to eat fish for luck lest he have an accident that doesn't fit my case for today i cross but once in a boat oh uh, don't say that aren't you coming back to us yes but not in a boat well, how then by the bridge Listen to that, by the bridge. Now stop this jesting, dear General, and do as I would have you. It's a noble fish. Be good, then, and save me some for supper, and I will bring one of those Englishmen with me, and he shall have his share. Ah, well, have your way if you must. But he that fasts must attempt but little and stop early. When shall you be back? When we've raised the siege of Orléans. Forward! We were off. The streets were full of citizens, and of groups and squads of soldiers, but the spectacle was melancholy. There was not a smile anywhere, but only universal gloom. It was as if some vast calamity had smitten all hope and cheer dead. We were not used to this, and were astonished. And when they saw the maid, there was an immediate stir, and the eager question flew from mouth to mouth. Where is she going? Whither is she bound? Joan heard it and called out, "Whither would ye suppose I am going to take Tourelle? It would not be possible for any to describe how those few words turned that morning into joy, into exultation, into frenzy, and how a storm of huzzas burst out and swept down the streets in every direction and woke those corpse-like multitudes to vivid life and action and turmoil in a moment." The soldiers broke from the crowd and came flocking to our standard, and many of the citizens ran and got pikes and halberts and joined us. As we moved on our numbers increased steadily, and the hurrahing continued. Yes, we moved through a solid cloud of noise, as you may say, and all the windows on both sides contributed to it, for they were filled with excited people. You see, the council had closed the Burgundy gate and placed a strong force there, under that stout soldier Raoul de Gaucourt, Bailey of Orléans, with orders to prevent Joan from getting out and resuming the attack on the tourelle, and this shameful thing had plunged the city into sorrow and despair. But that feeling was gone now. They believed the maid was a match for the council, and they were right. When we reached the gate, Joan told Gaucourt to open it and let her pass. He said it would be impossible to do this, for his orders were from the council and were strict. Jones said, "'There is no authority above mine but the king's. If you have an order from the king, produce it.' "'I cannot claim to have an order from him, General.' "'Then make way, or take the consequences.' He began to argue the case, for he was like the rest of the tribe, always ready to fight with words, not acts. But in the midst of his gabble, Joan interrupted with these terse orders. "'Charge!' We came with a rush, and brief work we made of that small job. It was good to see the Bailey's surprise. He was not used to this unsentimental promptness. He said afterward that he was cut off in the midst of what he was saying, in the midst of an argument by which he could have proved that he could not let Joan pass an argument which joan could not have answered still it appears she did answer it said the person he was talking to we swung through the gate in great style with a vast accession of noise the most of which was laughter and soon our van was over the river and moving down against the tourelle first we must take a supporting work called a boulevard and which was otherwise nameless before we could assault the great bastille its rear communicated with the bastille by a drawbridge under which ran a swift and deep strip of the loire the boulevard was strong and dunois doubted our ability to take it but joan had no such doubt she pounded it with artillery all the forenoon then about noon she ordered an assault and led it herself we poured into the fosse through the smoke and a tempest of missiles and joan shouting encouragements to her men started to climb a scaling-ladder when that misfortune happened which we knew was to happen. The iron bolt from an arbalest struck between her neck and her shoulder and tore its way down through her armor. When she felt the sharp pain and saw her blood gushing over her breast, she was frightened, poor girl, and as she sank to the ground she began to cry bitterly. The English sent up a glad shout, and came surging down in strong force to take her, and then for a few minutes the might of both adversaries was concentrated upon that spot. Over her and above her, English and French fought with desperation, for she stood for France. Indeed, she was France to both sides. Whichever won her, won France, and could keep it forever. Right there in that small spot, and in ten minutes by the clock, the fate of France for all time was to be decided, and was decided." if the english had captured joan then charles the seventh would have flown the country the treaty of troyes would have held good and france already english property would have become without further dispute an english province to so remain until judgment day a nationality and a kingdom were at stake there and no more time to decide it in than it takes to hard boil an egg it was the most momentous ten minutes that the clock had ever ticked in france or ever will whenever you read in histories about hours or days or weeks in which the fate of one or another nation hung in the balance, do not you fail to remember, nor your French hearts to beat the quicker for the remembrance, the ten minutes that France, called otherwise Joan of Arc, lay bleeding in the fosse that day, with two nations struggling over her for her possession. And you will not forget the dwarf, for he stood over her, and did the work of any six of the others, he swung his axe with both hands. Whenever it came down he said those two words, FOR FRANCE! And a splintered helmet flew like eggshells, and the skull that carried it had learned its manners and would offend the French no more. He piled a bulwark of iron-clad dead in front of him and fought from behind it, and at last when the victory was ours we closed about him, shielding him, and he ran up a ladder with Joan as easily as another man would carry a child and bore her out of the battle a great crowd following and anxious, for she was drenched with blood to her feet, half of it her own and the other half English, for bodies had fallen across her as she lay and had poured their red life-streams over her. One couldn't see the white armor now, with that awful dressing over it. The iron bolt was still in the wound, some say it projected out behind the shoulder. It may be, I did not wish to see, and did not try to, it was pulled out and the pain made joan cry again poor thing some say she pulled it out herself because others refused saying they could not bear to hurt her as to this i do not know i only know it was pulled out and that the wound was treated with oil and properly dressed joan lay on the grass weak and suffering hour after hour but still insisting that the fight go on which it did but not to much purpose for it was only under her eye that men were heroes and not afraid they were like the paladin. I think he was afraid of his shadow. I mean in the afternoon when it was very big and long. But when he was under Joan's eye, and the inspiration of her great spirit, what was he afraid of? Nothing in this world, and that is just the truth. Toward night Dunois gave it up. Joan heard the bugles. "'What?' she cried. "'Sounding the retreat!' Her wound was forgotten in a moment. She countermanded the order." and sent another, to the officer in command of a battery, to stand ready to fire five shots in quick succession. This was a signal to the force on the Orleans side of the river under Lehyre, who was not, as some of the histories say, with us. It was to be given whenever Joan should feel sure the boulevard was about to fall into her hands. Then that force must make a counter-attack on the Tourelle by way of the bridge." Joan mounted her horse now, with her staff about her, and when our people saw us coming they raised a great shout and were at once eager for another assault on the boulevard. Joan rode straight to the Fosse, where she had received her wound, and standing there in the rain of bolts and arrows, she ordered the paladin to let her long standard blow free, and to note when its fringes should touch the fortress. Presently he said, "'It touches!' "'Now then,' said Joan to the waiting battalions, "'the place is yours!' enter it bugles sound the assault now then all together go and go it was you never saw anything like it we swarmed up the ladders and over the battlements like a wave and the place was our property why one might live a thousand years and never see so gorgeous a thing as that again there hand to hand we fought like wild beasts for there was no give-up to those english there was no way to convince one of those people but to kill him and even then he, he doubted at least so it was thought in those days and maintained by many we were busy and never heard the five cannon shots fired but they were fired a moment after joan had ordered the assault and so while we were hammering and being hammered in the smaller fortress the reserve on the orleans side poured across the bridge and attacked the tourelle from that side a fireboat was brought down and moored under the drawbridge which connected the tourelle with our boulevard wherefore when at last we drove our english ahead of us and they tried to cross that drawbridge and join their friends in the tourelle, the burning timbers gave way under them and emptied them in a mass into the river in their heavy armor and a pitiful sight it was to see brave men die such a death as that ah god pity them said joan and wept to see that sorrowful spectacle she said those gentle words and wept those compassionate tears although one of those perishing men had grossly insulted her with a coarse name three days before when she had sent him a message asking him to surrender that was their leader sir william glasdale a most valorous knight he was clothed all in steel so he plunged under water like a lance and of course he came up no more we soon patched a sort of bridge together, and threw ourselves against the last stronghold of the English power that barred Orléans from friends and supplies. Before the sun was quite down, Joan's forever memorable day's work was finished. Her banner floated from the fortress of the Tourelles. Her promise was fulfilled. She had raised the siege of Orléans. The seven months' beleaguerment was ended. The thing which the first generals of France had called impossible was accomplished. In spite of all that the king's ministers and war councils could do to prevent it, this little country maid, at seventeen, had carried her immortal task through, and had done it in four days. Good news travels fast sometimes, as well as bad. By the time we were ready to start homeward by the bridge, the whole city of Orléans was one red flame of bonfires, and the heavens blushed with satisfaction to see it and the booming and bellowing of cannon and the banging of bells surpassed by great odds anything that even orleans had attempted before in the way of noise when we arrived well there is no describing that why those acres of people that we ploughed through shed tears enough to raise the river there was not a face in the glare of those fires that hadn't tears streaming down it and if joan's feet had not been protected by iron they would have kissed them off of her "'Welcome! Welcome to the Maid of Orléans!' That was the cry. I heard it a hundred thousand times. "'Welcome to our maid!' some of them worded it. No other girl in all history has ever reached such a summit of glory as Joan of Arc reached that day. And do you think it turned her head, and that she sat up to enjoy that delicious music of homage and applause? No, another girl would have done that, but not this one. That was the greatest heart and the simplest that ever beat.' she went straight to bed and to sleep like any tired child and when the people found she was wounded and would rest they shut off all passage and traffic in that region and stood guard themselves the whole night through to see that her slumbers were not disturbed they said she has given us peace she shall have peace herself all knew that that region would be empty of english next day And all said that neither the present citizens nor their posterity would ever cease to hold that day sacred to the memory of Joan of Arc. That word has been true for more than sixty years. It will continue so always. Orleans will never forget the eighth of May, nor ever fail to celebrate it. It is Joan of Arc's day, and holy. Note number one. It is still celebrated every year with civic and military pomps and solemnities. TRANSLATOR END OF NOTE 1 END OF CHAPTER 22